Well, if you are following along in your Bibles, uh, stay in that passage because we're going to park there just for a few minutes for this meditation. And we're going to look especially, usually on Monday, Thursday, I focus heavily or on the prayer at Gethsemane, which they just read. Uh, tonight, we're going to focus more on the Passover meal here in just a few minutes and the institution of the Passover meal as a memorial meal. I read the following, and I think it might be helpful. Actually, I want to pray. Let's pray as we go into this meditation. Dear Heavenly Father, here we are, gathered, on, gathered tonight, on the evening when we remember the Passover meal which you gave to the disciples, which you remem- um, had as a memorial with the disciples, Here we are gathered as we remember your prayer at Gethsemane, your betrayal, your arrest, going into your crucifixion. Here we are this evening on the evening that leads into what we call Good Friday, which we know. Had to have been the most difficult day for you, and that's saying the least. It is good for us because your death, your crucifixion, your resurrection gives us eternal life in you, reconciles us with God the Father, gives us peace with God. And right now, Lord God, as we remember this, as, we, as I take a few moments to talk about the Passover meal, and then as we take communion together, may it be a time of remembrance for all of us, a time of spiritual renewal for all of us. And certainly if someone's here or watching online later on or listening later on who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may it be a time for them, for them to repent and to turn their life over to you. Lord God, we know that as we pray right now and we head into this meditation, that there are many from our congregation that can't be with us for various reasons. You know all of them, those in the hospitals, those in the nursing homes, those, uh, it's just too difficult to get out because of the challenges of aging or sickness or illness or whatever. We lift them up to you. Right now, may the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read the following, and I think it might be helpful as we go into this a uh, short message on Monday, Thursday, and the Passover meal. Do you know where you are going? The place, Dublin, Ireland. The time, toward the end of the 19th century, late 1800s. The event, a series of blistering attacks on Christianity, especially the alleged resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. The purpose, the person, Thomas Henry Huxley. Thomas Henry Huxley. You might remember Huxley, but you may not, so I'll tell you a little bit about him. Devoted disciple of Darwin, famous biologist, teacher, and author, defender of the theory of evolution, bold, convincing, self-avowed humanist, traveling lecturer. Having finished another series of blistering assaults against several truths which Christians held dear, Huxley was in a hurry. The following morning, 
in a hurry to catch his train to the next city. He took one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis, and he settled back with his eyes closed to rest himself for a few minutes. He assumed the driver had been told the destination by the hotel doorman. Assumed the driver had been told the destination by the hotel doorman. So all he said as he got in was, hurry, I'm almost late, drive fast. The horses lurched forward and galloped across Dublin at a vigorous pace. Before long, Huxley glanced out the window and frowned as he realized they were going west, away from the sun, not toward it. Leaning forward, the scholar shouted, do you know where you're going? Without looking back, the driver yelled a classic line, not meant to be humorous. No, your honor, but I'm driving very fast. <laughs> he never told him where he was going. Do you know where you're going? Do you know the trajectory of your life? May this time of Monday, Thursday, and this weekend be a time of remembrance and a time of recommitment to Christ. Jesus knew where he was going at that Passover meal that evening, what we call Monday Thursday. Jesus knew his mission. Traditionally, Monday Thursday, the English garbled form of a Latin uh, term that has to do with order or commitment or commandment, has been a day to remember the Last Supper. The prayer in, uh, it's, it's a day to remember the Last Supper, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal with a kiss, the taking captive of Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus' aband abandonment by the male disciples. Betrayal, desertion, and a threefold denial are the coup de grace. It is on any showing a somber season. In Jesus' life on Monday, Thursday, Jesus shared with the disciples what is called the Upper Room Discourse, which is recorded in John chapters 13 through 17. Included in, in this is the Last Supper, which is the Passover meal. We also find this in the other Gospels. From there, Jesus went to a time of prayer at Gethsemane, which Katie and Ryan and Mercedes read from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Prior to being betrayed and handed over to the authorities, he had that prayer at Gethsemane. We've already read the passages this evening, so I want to review and make a few applications before we go into our time of communion as well. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 25, those first five verses, which Marty read a little bit ago, Jesus announces his betrayer. Jesus announces his betrayer. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, the Bible says that it was evening, and Jesus reclined at the table with the disciples. Jesus announces that one of them will betray him. In verse 22, the disciples were grieved, and each one denied it would be them. They all denied, it will not be me, it will not be me. In verses 23 through 24, Judas is named as a betrayer, though he says it would not be him. I read the following. This little bit comes from John MacArthur, and then I have some more comments from some other sources about the Passover meal. In the history of Israel, Passover was celebrated both on Thursday and on Friday because the customs in Galilee differed from the customs in Judea. And so, 
The Lord on Thursday evening celebrates a Galilean Passover day. Jesus celebrates a Galilean Passover day. And yet there is another Passover day on Friday, which means that Jesus can keep the Passover one day and die during the Passover as the Passover lamb the next day. In fact, there is some thought that as he is being crucified, the Passover lambs for the Judean Passover um, remembrance are being slaughtered. Those Passover lambs are being slaughtered as Jesus is dying on the cross as the Passover lamb. And God had arranged history and tradition and custom and circumstance to make this all a reality. Remember now, it is about 6 o'clock p.m. at the Passover meal, about 6 o'clock on Thursday evening. Christ will be captured later in the night. He'll be brought to a mock trial early in the morning. He will be crucified and he will die around 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. So it's only a matter of hours before his death and they are eating the Passover meal. It has to be eaten that night. It has to be eaten before midnight. It can't be that anything is left for the morrow. And so as we come to verse 20, which we've read and talked a little about, Jesus is at the table with the disciples preparing to eat the meal. Now, why this final, final Passover? And I have a few thoughts. This is from John MacArthur as well. Passover was the oldest Jewish institution older than any other Jewish institution, at least older than all the festivals that they had to celebrate or commemorate. This is older than any Jewish institution except the Sabbath itself. For 1,500 years, get that, 1,500 years, they had celebrated Passover, even before the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron, was instituted. Even before all the Levitical ritual and the giving of the Mosaic law, they had celebrated Passover. The Passover was very old and very ancient, and it was ordained by God to be held every year, and every devout Jew did it every year. Every devout Jew was supposed to come together for, this pass, for the Passover every year. But now, listen, and this is very interesting. This Passover, after some, 15, after some 1,500 years, after some 1,500 years of Passovers, this was the last divinely sanctioned and authorized Passover ever held. Jesus was about to be crucified as the perfect Passover lamb. The, the um, temple curtain was torn in two. The access between us and God was opened up. Jesus made this a memorial meal in remembrance of him. It was no longer a Passover meal in the divinely sanctioned Passover meal with the sacrificed lambs anymore. In Matthew 26, 26 through 30, we see the Lord's Supper is instituted. This is a Passover meal with a lot of symbolism, and we can't get into all of it today. The Passover meal goes back to Exodus chapter 12, verses 42 and following. It goes back to that passage when they left Egypt. One source shares this. The Passover meal was rich with symbolic meaning. Jews ate lamb to commemorate the lamb whose blood protected firstborn Israelites from the death plague before the Exodus. Bitter herbs were reminiscent of their enslavement. Unleavened bread symbolized the haste of their departure from Egypt. Again, you can see that in Exodus 12, the second book of the Old Testament. Jesus invested 
Jesus invested the meal with new symbolism. The, the, the unleavened bread symbolized his own body, which would be torn by scourging and crucifixion. His sacrifice would begin a new exodus in which people were liberated from slavery to sin. The matzah is unleavened bread, and this is a symbol of sin. Matzah is pierced in ancient times with an awl and now with a machine to keep it from rising. Matzah is even done in stripes. I heard that from Dr. Radelnik on a professor at Moody Bible Institute once. The, the third cup of wine is a cup of redemption, and it is red, symbolizing blood. There are four total cups, and it's thought that Jesus did not take the fourth cup, which we'll come back to in a minute. And, and this is a metaphor. It's a symbol of Jesus' body. It's a memorial meal. In verse 26, notice Jesus gives to them, and Jesus says, Take, eat, this is my body. One source shares, Jesus' body will be, Jesus' body will be the once and for all fulfillment of the ceremonies surrounding the Passover lamb and other Old Testament sacrifices. As he will become the sacrificial atonement for the sins of the people. Remember, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew his destination. And he was always about his father's mission. He was always about his father's will, as I talked about. Last Sunday, when I talked about how Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing he would be crucified. In verse 27, Jesus gives them the cup. Most likely the third of four cups at the Passover. The cup of blessing or the cup of redemption. Corresponding to God's third promise in Exodus 6.6. Exodus 6.6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The making of a covenant was normally accompanied by an act of sacrifice. The slaughter of the animal signified the consequences that would befall anyone who broke the covenant. The old covenant was sealed by such a sacrifice, a slaughtering of animals. You can see in Exodus 24, verse 8. Now, Jesus' sacrifice enacted the new covenant. Jesus' sacrifice enacted the new covenant. His sacrifice enacted the new covenant that had been promised in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, it's about the new covenant. In this covenant, God vowed to forgive and forget his people's sins. He also promised to write his law in the hearts of his people so that they will fulfill his righteous demands. A new covenant. Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a Messianic Jew who you can listen to on Moody Radio on Saturdays from 10 to noon. His parents were in the Holocaust at Auschwitz. I love listening to him. He teaches Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. Well, when he became a Christian, his dad was very upset. And Dr. Rydelnik was about 17 years old. So his father made him meet with certain deconversion rabbis. These were rabbis who focused and specialized on deconversion. And Dr. Radelnik was just a young guy, a teenager. And he's bringing up scripture with them and he brings up the new covenant. And the rabbis, remember, deconversion rabbis, they specialize in this. The rabbis said, we don't need a new covenant. And Michael Radelnik took him to that passage in Jeremiah 31. And one of the rabbis looked at it and said, I never noticed that before. A new covenant. The Bible says Jesus will circumcise our hearts. 
Wash away our sins. Back to this passage, passage of the Passover meal. In verse 28, Jesus says what the cup is for. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death established a forgiveness promised in the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, 31. Jesus is reinterpreting the symbolism of the Passover meal, indicating the presence of a new era. Jesus is instituting the new covenant. In verse 29, Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is a fourth cup which Jesus likely did not take. He is talking about taking it with them in the millennial reign, which you can read about in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and following. You know, we, we have this memorial meal when we take the Passover meal, when we um, actually the, the Last Supper in a few minutes. But we look forward to the day when Jesus makes all things new. And we take this memorial meal with Jesus in the new kingdom, the millennial reign. In verse 30, they sing a hymn, and then they head to the Mount of Olives. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 30 through 35, Jesus talks about the disciples falling away. Peter says, I won't fall away. And Jesus says, yes, you will. And he did. But he repented. In verses 36 through 46, we have Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane. Following those events, Jesus is betrayed and arrested. This he did for us. This was Jesus' Monday, Thursday. This was Jesus' Passover evening. He was on mission. He knew it was to come. He did not turn around. He could have. He didn't. In fact, in the prayer at Gethsemane, he said to his father, If at all possible, make this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus went through this suffering for our salvation. He did this for us. He did this so that we would be saved. He did this so that we would be redeemed. Remember the story I began with about Huxley. The atheist, the humanist, the evolutionist. Remember about how his driver was driving fast, but he was driving the wrong way. Do you know where you're going? As we head into Resurrection Sunday, as we go through Good Friday, are you right with Jesus? Are you following him? Are you living with him? You know, that true story about Huxley is more than a story. It's an apt summary, not only of the spirit of Huxley and his followers in the 19th century, but of many in our own day. Great speed, much motion, rapid movement, but an unknown destination. As Rullo May, the contemporary psychologist, once admitted, it is an old and ironic habit of human beings to run faster when we have lost our way. We run faster when we have lost our way. Are you trusting in Jesus' blood to cover the guilt of your sins? One important distinctive of Christianity is that we do not earn our salvation. We cannot possibly do enough good to cancel out the bad. Instead, we marvel at the fact that Jesus paid the price for our sins. This evening, make sure we're thanking him. You know, that passage which I talked about is the institution of the Lord's Supper by Jesus with the disciples. 
We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. But first, um, Miss Jenny's going to come up and sing special music. As she walks up, let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go into the Lord's Supper, may this be a time, as Jenny sings, for reflection, for quieting our hearts, for repentance, as we go into this very important remembrance time. In Jesus' name, amen.